Welcome to another broadcast of the decline and fall of America. From the Foggy Mountain Studios, this worldwide broadcast is brought to you by podcaster Charles Factor, myself. And as some of you may know, I'm a former lieutenant commander in the United States Navy, JAG Corps, Judge Advocate General Corps. And I wanted to talk today, which happens to be Veterans Day, about a very important subject, at least currently, and that's Ukraine. The war started there in 2014. Most Americans and the media aren't aware of that, but the war is now entering its ninth year of combat. And the New York Times recently had an essay that was published this year, and it's an interesting essay, and I think it has some merit. Um, And let me read parts of it to you. So this is from the New York Times. The title of the essay is, The War in Ukraine May Be Impossible to Stop, and the United States deserves much of the blame. It's an interesting, uh, interesting argument, an interesting uh, point of view. So let me read it to you, at least parts of it, not all of it. And I'll discuss it afterwards and see what you think. So again, this is from the New York Times. Quote, in 2014, the United States backed an uprising in its final stages of violent uprising against the legitimately elected Ukrainian government of Viktor Yanukovych, who was pro-Russian. But Russia, in turn, annexed Crimea, a historically Russian-speaking part of Ukraine that since the 18th century had been home to Russia's Black Sea Fleet. One can argue about Russian claims to the Crimea, but Russians take them seriously. Hundreds of thousands of Russians and Soviet fighters died defending the Crimean city of Sevastopol from European forces during two sieges, one during the Crimean War and one during World War II. In recent years, Russian control of the Crimea has seemed to provide a stable regional arrangement. Russia's European neighbors, at least, have let the sleeping dogs lie. But the United States never accepted the arrangement. On November 10th, 2021, the United States and Ukraine signed a, quote, charter on strategic partnership, unquote, that called for Ukraine to join NATO, condemned ongoing Russian aggression, and affirmed an unwavering commitment to the reintegration of Crimea into Ukraine. That charter convinced Russia that it must attack or be attacked. Mr. Guano wrote, quote, it's the ineluctable, ineluctable, process of 1914 in all of its terrifying purity, unquote. This is a faithful account of the war that President Vladimir Putin has claimed to be fighting. Quote, there were constant supplies of the most modern military equipment, unquote, Mr. Putin said at Russia's annual victory parade on May 9th, referring to the foreign arming of Ukraine, quote, the danger was growing every day. Whether he was right to worry about Russia's security depends on one's perspective. Western news reports tend to belittle him. And the rocky course of the war in Ukraine thus far has vindicated Mr. Putin's diagnosis, if not his conduct. And though Ukraine's military industry was very important in Soviet times, by 2014, the country barely had a modern military at all. Oligarchs, not the state, armed and funded some of the militias that were sent to fight Russian-supported separatists in the East. The United States started arming and training Ukraine's military 
Hesitantly at first under President Barack Obama, modern hardware began flowing during the Trump administration, though, and today the country is armed to the teeth. Since 2018, Ukraine has received United States-built Javelin anti-tank missiles, Czech artillery, and Turkish drones, and other NATO interoperable weaponry. The United States and Canada lately have sent up-to-date British-designed M777 howitzers that fire global-position satellite-guided Excalibur shells. And President Biden just signed into law another $40 billion military aid package. In this light, mockery of Russia's, Russia's battlefield performance is misplaced. Russia is not being stymied by a plucky agricultural country a third of its size, It is holding its own, at least for now, against NATO's advanced economic, cyber, and battlefield weapons. And I'm again continuing to read from the New York Times article. I think it's it's fascinating. Quote, and this is where Mr. Guano is correct to accuse the West of sleepwalking. The United States is trying to maintain the fiction that arming, arming one's allies is not the same thing as participating in combat. But in the information age, this distinction is growing more and more artificial. The United States has provided intelligence used to kill Russian generals. It's obtained the targeting information that helped to sink the Russian Black Sea missile cruiser in an incident which killed 40 seamen. And the United States may be playing an even more direct role. There are now thousands of foreign fighters in the Ukraine. One volunteer spoke to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation this month fighting alongside friends who come from the Marines in the United States. Just as it is easy to cross the line between being a weapons supplier and being a combatant, it is easy to cross the line from waging a proxy war to waging a secret war. In a subtler way, a country trying to fight such a war risks being drawn from partial into full involvement by force of moral reasoning. Perhaps American officials justify exporting weaponry the way they justify budgeting it. It's so powerful, it's dissuasive. The money is well spent because it buys peace. And should the guns fail to dissuade, well, that can lead to bigger wars. A handful of people have died in the Russian takeover of Crimea in 2014. But this time around, matched in weaponry, and even outmatched in some cases, Russia has reverted to a war of bombardment that looks more like World War II. And even if we don't accept Mr. Putin's claim that America's arming of Ukraine is the reason the war happened in the first place. It is certainly the reason the war has taken a kinetic, explosive, deadly form it has. Our role in this is not passive or incidental. We have given Ukrainians the cause to believe that they can prevail in a war of escalation. Thousands of Ukrainians have died who likely would not have if the United States had stood aside. That naturally may create among American policymakers a sense of moral and political obligation, you know, to stay the course, to escalate the conflict, to match any excess. And the United States has shown itself not just liable to escalate, but it's also inclined to. And I'm skipping a few paragraphs here just because it's a very long article in the New York Times. But um, let me continue at this part of it. Quote, But if the war does not end soon, its dangers will increase. Negotiations need to begin in the next two months before it creates upheavals and tensions that will not be easily overcome. 
calling for return to the status quo, antebellum, he added, quote, pursuing the war beyond that point would not be about the freedom of Ukraine, but a new war against Russia itself. The United States is making no concessions. That would be to lose face. So the administration is closing off avenues of negotiation. It's working in to intensify the war. Why, we're in it to win it. And with time, the huge import of deadly weaponry, including that from the newly authorized $40 billion allocation, could take the war to a whole different level. President Zelensky of Ukraine warned in an address to students this month that the bloodiest days of the war are coming. Unquote. So there you have it from the New York Times. Um, it's an interesting article. You know, they are correct in pointing out that the war did start in 2014. It is now entering its ninth year of combat. And I recognize that the American media woke up to the war about a year ago. But it's not a new war. It's been going on for almost nine years. It doesn't look like either side can win. It looks like it's yet another stalemate. And this, after decades of United States involvement in Afghanistan, where we spent God only knows how many billions, if not trillions of dollars, and how many tens of thousands of lives were lost on all sides. And then we lost the war. The Taliban control the country. And this in the wake of other lost wars, like Vietnam, where we spent decades fighting in Vietnam, spent God knows how many billions and trillions of dollars, and ultimately lost the war. Or how we fought, the United States fought two wars in Iraq, two separate wars in Iraq conquered the country, and then lost the peace. Now Iraq is essentially a puppet state of Iran, not our friends. And Iran is considered to be a terrorist state, and now they pretty much control Iraq. So we fought two wars in Iraq, spent God knows how many billions, possibly trillions of dollars, and certainly tens of thousands of people died on all sides of both of those wars, but we lost the peace. Our enemies, the Iranians, currently control Iraq. And there's been so many other wars that we have fought that we haven't done well in, these limited conflicts. We don't even call them war anymore. Now, the Constitution of the United States says that only the Congress can declare war. But the Congress hasn't declared any of these wars. The president seems to just go in, attack a country. Both parties do it, Republicans and Democrats. Attack a country get involved in a war, start funding funding their wars, giving them money, giving them armaments, and all of a sudden our soldiers start showing up secretly, training, and after the training they become more involved, and then they're flying the planes, and we're involved in, in uh, CIA operations on the ground, and torturing people to get confessions, and all this stuff. Oftentimes in places that we have no national interest. I mean, what is our national interest in Afghanistan? People used to say, well, that's where Osama bin Laden is from. No, he wasn't. They found him hiding in Pakistan. Pakistan's one of our allies. So we fought a war in a country to dismantle a terror regime that bombed us, right? The World Trade Centers, the Pentagon, a couple decades ago. And then we invaded the wrong country. We conquered it and then lost it. Meanwhile, our enemies, including Osama bin Laden, were hiding 
in plain sight under the protection of our allied governments in Pakistan. Now, this is the nation, the United States, that currently owes $31 trillion. We have no way of paying that back. This is a nation that has lost tens of thousands of soldiers in all of these wars. This is a nation that doesn't even call it a war anymore. We call them police actions. I don't even know what they're calling the war in Ukraine. And not to mention the fact we're still fighting other secret wars, like the one in Yemen or the one in Congo, and other actions, like we still have troops fighting in Syria. So what do we make of all of this? I mean, aside from the fact that the United States appears to be overspending on the military, the fact that the United States seems to be getting involved in wars where we have no direct national interest. And interestingly enough, where we do have a national interest on our own border with Mexico, why we leave that border completely open and undefended, where drugs come in every year and kill 100,000 Americans. And 2 million people this year have walked across the border because it's that open and that undefended. And 20 million people have walked across the border in the last decade or two. So the one border that is strategic to us, the border with Mexico, we don't have any of our military on it. It's wide open. It's amazing. What border have we sealed? Well, we have successfully sealed the border between North Korea and South Korea. We have tens of thousands of troops on that border, making sure that nobody ever crosses that border. So our military can police a border, our military can close a border, but our politicians don't want it, right? So here we are with this war in Ukraine. And today I've read an article, an essay, in the New York Times newspaper this year that says, hey, America, this war isn't winnable. Ukraine's not going to defeat Russia, and it's most likely Russia's not going to defeat Ukraine. Hey, America, this war has been going on for almost nine years with no end in sight. The article says, hey, America, why are you sending all these billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to yet another foreign war? Now, isn't it interesting that as soon as the war in Afghanistan wraps up and we pull out of Afghanistan and we lose yet another war, this time to the Taliban, and all our money and all those lives sacrificed for nothing, and then immediately after Afghanistan, we get involved in the war in Ukraine, We escalate it, we send more money, we send more arms, we send more trainers, more troops. Really, is that a coincidence? Or do we have a military industrial complex that's profiting off of this? Industrialists making an awful lot of money off of producing these arms. Scientists making their living off of inventing these arms and perfecting these arms. And our military, I I was a naval officer, Our military getting job security because we're endlessly in these wars. We never seem to be at peace. And what has it done to our nation, aside from the fact that we have buried our loved ones and our friends, while at the same time we have not defended the United States against foreign invasion? Just take a look at the Mexico border. Well, what has it done to the United States? People. We're $31 trillion in debt. And we have no way to pay it back. We're bankrupt. These endless foreign wars where the United States goes in, spends a ton of money, loses a a lot of lives, has bankrupted our empire. It is one of the primary reasons that we are now witnessing, you and I, as we live here, we are witnessing the decline and fall of America. 
from the Foggy Mountain Studios, looking out at the great misty beyond of a once great American empire. I am your podcast host, Charles Factor. Thank you for joining me on this Veterans Day.